The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now on Bloomberg 99.1. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99. Happy snow day, folks, but chances are if you're driving home today, you had to make it into work, and it really doesn't appear to be too much snow. That said, drive safely out there. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Television and Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. We've got a great show for you today. The Democrats are getting ready for their legal battle against President Trump's declaration of a national emergency. Plus, we're going to be breaking down the latest developments on the U.S.-China trade policy as a Beijing delegation arrives here in Washington to continue to hammer out those details following news that the president is personally asking President Xi Jinping of China to not manipulate the currency anymore. But what does all of that mean? We're going to dive into the weeds on that front. Plus, 2020, Senator Bernie Sanders drawing a record $5.9 million on day one as he starts restarts his presidential ambitions. All-star panel today, Scott Mulhauser, founder of Aperture Strategies. He, of course, is the former chief of staff uh, of the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, as well as the uh, Senior Vice President and Chief of Staff of the Export-Import Bank. Fred Hochberg, good friend of the program. And Terry Sullivan, founding partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations and the former Senator Marco Rubio presidential campaign manager. We're going to get their take on all of this, the 2020 landscape. But first, let's get a check on those headlines from Nancy Lyons. Nancy? Thanks, Kevin. President Trump is reacting to a CNN report that special counsel Robert Mueller's report is being finalized and could be ready by next week. President Trump was asked if he thinks the report should be released while he's in Vietnam meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. I guess uh, from what I understand, that will be totally up to the attorney general. Trump says the new attorney general, William Barr, is a tremendous person who really respects the country and the Justice Department. Barr will reportedly submit a summary of Mueller's findings shortly after he receives them. House Democrats do plan to file a resolution as soon as Friday aimed at preventing President Trump from shifting funds to pay for his wall, which was the purpose of his emergency declaration at the Mexican border. That could be setting up a vote by the full House by mid-March. Democrats say the president should not be spending billions of dollars beyond what Congress has authorized. The resolution has 92 co-sponsors in the House where it is likely to pass. It may also get enough Republican support to pass the Senate. But the president has vowed to veto the resolution. Well, he said he's not planning to run for president, but as Bloomberg's Nathan Hager reports, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is not exactly closing the door. Hogan says President Trump looks pretty weak heading into the 2020 general election. 
The Maryland governor tells CBS News with overall approval ratings for the president in the high 30s to low 40s, the Republican Party needs to think about what a presidential defeat would mean for office holders in other parts of the country. Hogan says the chances are slim that a Republican would defeat Trump in a primary, but he also thinks he beat the odds when he became the first Republican governor to be reelected in Maryland since the 1950s. Nathan Hager, Bloomberg 99.1 at 105.7 FM HD2. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam continues to work on restoring his reputation following the recent blackface controversy. He is planning to attend an event at Virginia Union University tomorrow, VUU, as a historically black university. But a student leader at the school is asking the governor to stay away because tomorrow the school is slated to honor the Richmond 34. Those are students who were arrested in the 1960s for holding a sit-in at the whites-only counter at a local department store. No word on whether the governor has changed his plans. Time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Nancy stocks finished with modest gains. Minutes from last month's Fed policy meeting failed to move the market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed 63. The S&P 500 added four. The Nasdaq Composite rose two points. Federal Reserve officials were uncertain at their meeting last month about whether they would raise interest rates again this year. Minutes from the meeting elaborated on the Fed's message in which it said it would be patient. Samsung has unveiled its latest smartphone lineup and includes a phone with a foldable screen that'll take a whole lot of folding money to buy. The Samsung Galaxy Fold will cost nearly $2,000 when it hits the market in April. Microsoft says it's uncovered cyber attacks by hackers linked to Russia targeting European think tanks. It says the organizations were hit with hacks originating from a group called Strontium, which Microsoft says is associated with the Kremlin. The Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. area stock index gained eight-tenths of one percent. You're up to date on business. From the Beltway to Baltimore, I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Larry. Global News 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Now back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. Welcome back, folks. This late-breaking CNN report that Bob Mueller's investigation could end as early as next week. What a week that would be if this CNN report is accurate. It's reporting that, quote, Attorney General Bill Barr is preparing to announce as early as next week the completion of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigations with plans for Barr to submit to Congress soon after a summary of Mueller's confidential report. This is according to CNN's reporting with people familiar with the plans. Remember, folks, President Trump is set to be in Hanoi, Vietnam next week, negotiating a denuclearization treaty with North Korea dictator Kim Jong-un. As the world turns, my panel with me for the hour to weigh in on this late-breaking CNN breaking news story, Scott Mulhauser, founder of Aperture Strategies and a senior Democratic strategist, another senior Republican strategist, Terry Sullivan, he's founding partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations and former Senator Marco Rubio presidential campaign manager. Okay, Scott, I'm going to Vietnam next week, and it looks like there might be a bombshell uh, breaking back here. A figurative the, bombshell. Figurative, you know, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't like to joke about yes. nuke talks, but yes. go ahead, Scott. No, it's it could be quite a week. If you are, um, if you're President Trump, you're going to have to potentially live a bifurcated life where you're attempting to both cut a deal with um, 
a very in, in the throes of some tense conversations with the North Koreans while also keeping an eye on intense scrutiny back home. But see, but Terry, this is almost in a way the genius of it is because he can present himself as having a serious type of conversation with on the global stage while his attorney general is is, is submitting a summary report not the full investigation they planted that seed a while ago that they don't want to have the full investigation made public in a way it could work out in his favor you being an operative spin yeah look i I think that you you both make valid points except for neither one of them have anything to do with trump which is he thrives on chaos and the solution for him to chaos is more chaos the only thing more chaotic than you know, a, a debate with, or I mean, a, a, a you know, talks with Kim Jong Un is is release the Mueller report, and so those it'll feed off each other, and this plays into his one strength, which is cutting through the chaos. Uh, so I think it's it's a real advantage for him because uh, it just it, it mixes everything up. Except if he can't land the deal with North Koreans, then he's flailing abroad and he's flailing back home. Yeah, but look, uh, you, you know. Forty-seven percent of Americans are going to say he did an amazing job and deserves the Nobel Peace Prize for landing the deal, and forty-seven percent are going to say he's, you know, an awful traitor and never landed the deal and he's lying, and that's just how it works now. I mean, Terry, you know, Terry Sullivan, uh, senior Republican strategist, Scott Mulhauser, senior Democratic strategist. Uh, my guest with me for the hour. We're talking about this uh, late-breaking CNN report that act or that Attorney General Bill Barr is is planning or at least preparing to release a summary of the Mueller investigation to Congress as early as next week. They're citing three unidentified sources. President Trump set to be in Vietnam with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. Scott, you've got deep experience uh, in the uh, international world, particularly on the North Korea front. You mentioned what you, uh, you mentioned how President Trump is going to be negotiating with Kim Jong-un. What does he need, what does America need from a policy standpoint to happen when Air Force One returns from Hanoi? Look, the president is betting big that he can get the North Koreans to denuclearize. And the challenge is that they don't want to. And that they are, they understand that having those nuclear weapons is the leverage that is keeping both all eyes on them and giving them some power in these global negotiations. Right. But, I mean, if virtually every global superpower doesn't want Kim Jong-un, a 30-something dictator, to have nukes, so, I mean, how does it help him to hold on to, the, to, hold on be, to the nukes? Because it's his leverage. And so what he'll do is he'll look for, he'll look for, because as long as he's got them, they want something from him. Yeah, right. but, well, uh, well, I mean, look at Muammar Gaddafi. I mean, why don't we go ask him correct. what giving up your nukes does? That's right. You know, look at look at uh, Saddam Hussein, you know, giving up your I mean, it hasn't really fared well for these these dictators, these crazy rogue dictators to give up Maduro. their ambitions. Well, yeah. Didn't have nukes. yeah, but I mean, like, you know, this is this is the one thing that keeps in their mind yeah. keeps from being invaded and overthrown. And so just real quickly. So I think to, to that end, he'll look for changes to dial down sanctions, because particularly the most recent several rounds of sanctions have hit them and hit them hard. And I think he'll look for changes in the security treaties with the, with the South Koreans. We're going to have special coverage of that Vietnam summit with Kim Jong-un next week. I'll be reporting from Hanoi. We will broadcast from Hanoi. Good morning, Vietnam. I'm going to say that. Uh, sorry, I can't help myself sometimes. I did get a laugh from the panel, though, so maybe if you're listening, you, you also laughed along. Uh, but no laughing matter uh, is these denuclearization talks. I, I think a question, though, in terms of the domestic 
issues at home. This is a president who heads into denuclearization talks with Democrats preparing to sue him over the wall. The likelihood of, an, of, of a battle with this Mueller investigation, no matter which side of it you fall on, uh, and looming trade fronts. We're going to get into later on in the program the U.S.-China trade talks. But where, Terry, is President Trump at this particular moment? I remember when he headed into Singapore, the Russia investigation was also flaring up. Where are we now at this juncture Still a ways away from 2020, but now as he heads on to a global stage next week. Yeah, look, I think he's in a better position than he was then, in, in, in all honesty. Why? I mean, because he's got real foils. He's got – there is a – he can he can use the, the Democrat candidates uh, in the same way that he's used the media and, and had to kind of use other foils uh, in the past. He's now has real opposition, and he can point out their flaws instead of defending his. While he does have real opponents, so far he seems to be 0 for 2. And every time he goes up against Pelosi or others, they seem to win. I mean, he backed down on the State of the Union shutdown, State of the Union stare down. He backed down on the shutdown stare down. And the, I think the Chinese, for example, could look at that and say, okay, every time he's painted in a corner, he loses. So he may have opponents, but so far he doesn't seem to be winning. All right, coming up, we're going to talk more about the U.S. China uh, trade talk. Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist, Terry Sullivan, Republican strategist. You know what I remember about that Singapore summit and what I'm like very, very much uh, eager to see if it happens again? Watching those bodyguards from Kim Jong-un with the cars running up outside of like this famous hotel in Singapore. He was going to a nightclub. I kid you not. There I am in like the gaggle of reporters and I see Kim Jong-un's bodyguard sprinting towards this like high rise in, in Singapore. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I will, everyone talks about, you know, like his hair. I will never forget seeing Kim Jong-un in the flesh. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see the political fallout next week in Hanoi. Remember, folks, you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. Get that app. It has everything, all things markets, news, and whatnot. You can also find us on Radio.com and the iHeart Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back, folks. Happy snow day. But chances are, if you're driving, you didn't have one. Neither did I. Uh, really kind of a slow news day but with some late breaking developments, especially on this CNN report that Attorney General Bill Barr is maybe preparing next week to submit a summary of Bob Mueller's investigation to Congress. Could be interesting considering President Trump will be in Vietnam negotiating with North Korea dictator Kim Jong-un. Meanwhile, on the economic policy front, the Fed minutes showed that officials are unsure of the need for rate hikes in 2019. They are widely favoring the ending the runoff of the central bank's balance sheets this year. But they did, according to the minutes, express some uncertainty over whether or not they would raise interest rates again in 2019. So you've got the central bank happening in one eco area and then, of course, the other economic market moving uh, development this week is what's going on between the U.S. and China, particularly following reports that the U.S. is trying to pressure China 
uh, to, to back off of manipulating their currency. Uh, all of this comes as Chinese officials are here negotiating with the traitors. I love this nickname that President Trump gave these people. The traitors, he's calling them. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, as well as U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer, they're negotiating with Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua this week. Uh, and everybody wants to know when President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China are going to negotiate. Likely going to be in the spring, simply because of all of the geopolitical fronts. Uh, we got word earlier today and this morning that President Trump uh, is going to be meeting at, in Japan with some Japanese officials. So that will be uh, in the spring. Uh, so it's looking like spring maybe. There's been floating that it could happen down Mar-a-Lago, but we'll have to wait and see. Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist, also very much familiar with China-U.S trade relations indeed, given the background. And like every good restaurant in Washington. Well, including some Chinese restaurants to, to the, weave those threads what together. Is it, let's weave it. <laughs> what is the best Chinese restaurant in Washington, D.C.? So I just took a couple reporters to Panda Gourmet, which thanks. is... I know. Thanks for the invite, Scott. Appreciate it. I mean, they invited me. That was a good Oh, thing. okay. You're, you're yeah. welcome. Next, if you call, you know where to find okay. me. Yeah. Um, but it is, for those that don't know, when the Chinese brought over in, an array of workers to build their own embassy... They kept them all at a day's end to write off New York and Avenue yeah. in Bladensburg coming in from from New York. And in the sort of main part of the, the of the motel, they built a pretty authentic Shanxi restaurant with some pretty solid dumplings and some pretty good food. Terry Sullivan, founding partner at Firehouse Strategies, public relations and a Republican strategist. strategist. You've also worked on like 100 campaigns or something. Yeah, something like that. How, I mean, like, how, <laughs> have you, how do you even – that's a lot of campaigns. Um, what's the best Chinese restaurant? Do you like Chinese food? Yeah, I love Chinese food. Uh, y you know, it's, that's a tough call. Uh, I don't think I can name like a Chinese yeah. restaurant. So let's talk trade. U.S.-China <laughs> trade relations. I mean, where, where do we stand right now, Terry? Look, it, it, I think that this could be the greatest threat to the Trump presidency right now. Um, really? Yeah, because not Bob Mueller. Not Bob Mueller. Look, because the Mueller report is going to be a Rorschach test on what people want to see. Everybody's going to declare victory when it, when the report comes out. Um, the people who think that the president is awful and a traitor uh, are going to say, "See, this proves it." And the uh, "Make America Great" crowd is going to say, "See, this proves no no conspiracy." So, I mean, just like with everything else, the one thing that that his has has really buoyed his presidency is the success of the economy. And if the economy heads south, that's a real, real problem for him. There's, and this trade deal is, is going to have a big impact on that. Yeah, it sure is. I think, um, I think he's walking a tightrope tight rope right now. And you see it, you know, Kevin, you mentioned the two leaders of the delegation he's sending. One wants fundamental decoupling from China and Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. trade rep. And the other wants to sort of work with China. So I think the answer is he wants a deal. President Trump wants a deal in the same way President Xi wants a deal. And he's conveying that to C-suites and CEOs. He's conveying it to members of Congress. And the question is, what's a deal that lets him walk away and, you know, relieve the pain of some of these tariffs and, you know, bank something? You know what makes the, their blood boil up there on the street, though, is the threat of increasing tariffs on March mm -hmm. 1st. Right. And so I've been struck by this at the Rose Garden on Friday during his presser. He pretty much told us that he's considering – you know, you, he, he's calling it leverage about whether or not he's going to increase tariffs on $267 billion worth of additional goods coming into the U.S. from China. I can't find one trade shop organization in town that 
that is not pressing Republicans up on Capitol Hill to get word to President Trump that they don't want that. He, President Trump loves tariffs. I mean, he, he said it on Friday. He said it. He, tariff you know, man. Yeah, tariff man. I mean, like, yeah. it sounds like a comic book. But, but uh, I it mean. It is. Have you been watching? <laughs> I'm a, uh, Christine, I am a reporter. To my producer who's listening, I'm a reporter. Um, back to policy, Terry. Do you think that President Trump will uh, back away from the tariff increase on March 1st? You know, I, I thought he had uh, that he would stick to his guns on on uh, on just about everything. But he, he showed in the uh, the wall talks, the shutdown, things like that, that he really is is I think losing his step from a from a confidence level. Um, so I think I think he will. I think he's shown that he's willing to to, to cave. He, he did it on uh, uh, with Democrats. Got beat by Nancy Pelosi publicly, and I think he's he's willing to do it because. The alternatives, as you pointed out, are, are, are pretty dire. He wants it. I agree. He wants his economy to grow. And I think he'll take a deal that he can call a win. Right. And I think that will mean suspend. It may not be on March 1st. It sounds like they're going to continue. He could continue. kick it. He could kick yeah, the at least, can. It sounds like 60 days, 60. 30 or 60 is in play. But I think the sense among sort of both the business community and members and everyone who talks to him and his, his officials is he wants an off-ramp. He's looking for both a way to make these tariffs yield something all the pain he's he's forced everyone to endure yeah i was talking to some of my friends at the eurasia group and they're like i mean there's literally no ceo you guys know this from the business consulting that both of you do there's no ceo that wants that plus for a guy for a president who follows polls as much as he does he also follows what's happening in the market and i'm no you know market predictor but i can't imagine that should he not back off of these tariffs, that there would be a positive market reverberation. And conversely, the markets are dying for this to be resolved. They're tired of the right. uncertainty. Not only are the businesses, the markets themselves globally are tired of just not knowing and of the unnecessarily punitive. That's my favorite anecdote is like everyone, because of the time difference, everyone over in Beijing, they're like, what? They wake up in the morning and they check their emails and they're like, what happened in America today? <laughs> Coming up, we dive into out of the, we come up out for air from out of the weeds of eco policy and talk 2020 politics. It's never too early, folks, with our all-star panel, Democratic strategist Scott Mulhauser, as well as Republican strategist Terry Sullivan. Remember, download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio, not just Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, but also all of our all-star colleagues. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Television and Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. With me for the hour, Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist, also has Philly ties, I just learned, but you grew up in Washington. Grew up in Washington with family from Philly and Jersey. Yeah, I mean, that's Philly's the greatest. Uh, <laughs> sorry, DC. Terry Sullivan, Republican strategist and a mountaineer man. Actually, best sandwich I've ever had in Philadelphia. From my uncle's hoagie shop? Where? Michael's sandwiches right off of MacDade Boulevard. Well done. 
What is that really your favorite? I was gonna go John's down on the water. No, nah, if you're going in there, go to Tony Luke's. He's a good buddy of mine, Tony. If you're listening, I love Tony out. Luke and Tony Luke's. Do you know Tony Luke? Not as well yeah. as you do, but I will yeah. tell you, John's is the strongest sandwich I've ever had. I totally life. disagree, and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I would argue. Okay, that. Terry, we got to get back into politics because Christine's like, oh my gosh, where is this conversation going? But you do you hike mountains? Uh, yes. Yes. So you're training for what? Yeah, I'm training for Denali this summer. Denali? Denali. How do yeah. you even train? To, for... I can't even spell Denali. Neither I can I. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> I couldn't spell Hanoi yeah. until like a week ago. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> wait, so how do you, seriously, how do you train for that? Uh, lots of uh, weights in backpacks upstairs, believe it or not. Uh, just everything. Everything from hot yoga to. Uh, I do hot yoga. I yeah. do Bikram. Oh, I do, I do uh, core power. Really? And yeah, it, it helps a lot with the flexibility and everything else. What is harder? Managing a presidential campaign or hiking Denali. Well, I guess you haven't done well, that. No, yeah, the, the presidential campaign. Like, really? you're just, it's just an inhuman thing. <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Really? Why? Yeah. Then why do you do it? Uh, I only did it once. If you look, there's actually nobody who's really run win or lose a top tier presidential campaign more than once. A okay. Democrat, Republican, they only run it once. You managed Senator Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. And uh, Scott, you're kind of in the game right now. There's a lot of people running for, for president Not on sure the left. Not. So I guess, Terry, what adv- should you get very involved into all of the candidates that you talk to on the left? What would your advice be, Terry, to someone like Scott as he looks at this crowded Democratic field? You know, I, I think on, on a personal side of things is is make sure to be an advisor and not the manager because the manager job sucks. The advisor can just kind of you know take days off every now and then. The uh, but but on the uh, from a practical side on the Democrats, look, they they face the same problem that the Republicans did last time, which is the best general election candidate is not likely able to survive the primary, and you know a Joe Biden who I, I think would be the most formidable opponent to Trump and and would be the odds-on favorite to beat him, couldn't survive a grueling primary nominating contest in the Democrat primary. Scott? This is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, it is. You are seeing, you've already seen how many folks enter, and there are so many more coming. There are rumors that the Hickenlooper announcement could come soon, and I think from that comes decisions by Sherrod Brown, Michael Bloomberg, Joe Biden, Michael Bennett, and a litany of others. And I think just the folks in already are already sort of saying the right things, particularly the senators are acting as sort of a, as Politico said, it's sort of a kumbaya moment, but that will, I think, unravel as the campaigns do, and it's going to get, it's going to get. Senator Sherry Brown, Democrat from Ohio, someone who carried in his re-election campaign by, I believe, 22 percentage points in a state that President Trump flipped or carried uh, to, in 2016, someone who has been on the Senate banking, seen as more of a progressive, been on Senate banking committee, uh, with Senator Elizabeth Warren. I've covered virtually all of those hearings. And to me, he strikes me as someone who could be a bit of a, of, of a dark horse in all of this, especially uh, maybe he, he can marry sort of uh, the the more Klobuchar-esque type of policy with the, the Sanders policy. And Senator Bernie Sanders, 5.9 million bucks this guy raised, this guy, this senator on, on his reelect. I mean, uh, Scott, there's really no way to, to, to read that number. I don't care what you think of, of him as an individual, Senator Sanders, but there's really no way to read that as to say that the, the, the left base is fired up. It'll be interesting to see if that Bernie Sanders momentum continues without Hillary Clinton as sort of a foil. It'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch. On your, on your brown point, it's a good one. And I think he and Biden and 
other sort of populist candidates, Steve Bullock, you know, who've won in red states or in Rust Belt areas, I think will have a resonance. The question will be, how will they do in the primary? Is it smart to just make Trump the foil in the Democratic primary? Because I, for, pers- from talking with folks, I think that there are people out there in, in the left circle, justice Democrat circles, who are frustrated with establishment Democrats and the, and the future of the Democratic Party. And I guess, is, is it smart in the primary to just make it about Trump? But you just said it was going to be a bloodbath. It is going to be a bloodbath. And I think what these guys have to do is both both train an eye on Trump and pick their fights. I mean, you, you, we talked a little bit on the front yeah. end about this emergency shutdown and whether it's health care and other things. Find the fights that resonate with folks. Don't pick them all. Don't land every. Don't attempt to land every punch. And not it's it's got to be about both taking on Trump, but also your own vision for how to do this. Yeah, but it also has to be about taking on the other candidates. And you know, look, Marco caught the most flack at any point in time in any debate in New Hampshire for making trying to make Obama. The, the, the target of the debate, and Christie attacked him uh, and, and went after him for, oh, you're just on talking points. You, why won't you engage? You're just attacking Obama. So I think there is a real danger for not engaging each other. What, what voters tend to want now is, is someone they see as strong, someone they see that can, can stand up to the opponent. And in this case, they're going to see the opponent as Trump. So it's not just taking on Trump. It's taking on other Democrats. And, I mean, we, the amount of oppo that these Dems have dropped on each other so early, I mean, has been phenomenal. As someone, you know, who spent 20 years running campaigns, it's pretty impressive to watch, to see the amount of, uh, of oppo research that's getting dumped on, you know, on announcement days. All right, coming up, we're going to go behind the scenes on what that means for an oppo dump by the two uh, gentlemen who know a thing or two about opposition research. Uh, Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist. Terry Sullivan, Republican strategist. Remember, download the Sound On podcast on iTunes or at Bloomberg.com or by getting the Bloomberg business app. Check out the Sound On radio show as well as all of our other content on Radio.com as well as iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back, everybody. Stay safe out on those roads. They're a little slick tonight following the snowfall. We are talking about everything out of Washington today. The U.S.-China trade talks, the CNN report, which, of course, uh, just broke within the last couple of hours that Attorney General William Barr might release a summary of Bob Mueller's investigation to Congress next week. Mind you, mark your calendar, or check your calendar rather, because President Trump is scheduled to be over in Vietnam with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un negotiating on denuclearization peace talks. And all of this comes, as I mentioned, with those U.S.-China trade talks March 1st. Will he or won't he, President Trump, increase the tariffs on $267 billion of goods coming from China to the United States, which would be very much against the wishes of the business community, both big and small. And that wasn't enough for everybody. It's 2020 season on the left. Everyone announcing it feels like that they are running for president, and that's where we are going to pick things back up with Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist and founder of Aperture Strategies. He, of course, is the former chief of staff to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. 
as well as a senior, the senior vice president and chief of staff of the Export Import Bank, chaired, of course, by a friend of the program, Fred Hochberg. Terry Sullivan is founding partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations and former Rubio presidential campaign manager in 2016, and he's worked on like 100 or some uh, <laughs> political campaigns. Uh, Scott, you talk to like everyone who's running for president right now. They are all either running, thinking about it, or at least taking it out for a spin. Okay, so this is what I want to know: is like as a political junkie, my whole life, when 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 these people when people are considering running for president, on the one hand, like you're never gonna make a bigger decision in your life. Like, I want to be commander in chief. Like that is a monumental monumental life-altering decision not just for you not just for your family but for the country so when you are talking to presidential wannabes what do you hear from someone who like actually has their stuff for lack of a better word together versus someone who you're like no way look if you're looking at democratic if you're looking at democratic campaigns that are struggling right now you can start with tulsi gabbard i mean that's an example of one that just she's still running has been having a tough time out of the box. And I think watching, you know, it's everything from how they staff and what they do, but when you look at it, it's rolling it out on a Friday night when you happen to mention it on CNN rather than having a deliberate rollout. It's sort of the array of things. There are already stories about staff turnover and turmoil and things like that that don't bode well. And that's what, conversely, what you see is some others. I'll give you a perfect example. Steve Bullock in Montana, who's sitting back, thinking about it, assessing, has a smart team on board, and I think has a pretty compelling profile. Dig deeper. So, like, I totally get the whole, like, seriousness of, of staffing and, like, where the staff is and turnover and all of that. But when, but, but on a, on a human-to-human yeah. level, when you're on the phone or in the room with someone who's running for president, and it's such a crowded, crowded field, what, like, humanistically, yeah. and you don't have to mention names, what are you, like, hearing or seeing so, that, that of, of, of someone who, like, is actually realizing and manifesting something that they feel called to do. So I think the best book on campaigns ever, if, which is helpful for, I think, the listening audience, is a book called What It Takes by Richard Ben Kramer. And the premise is sort of who the heck right. thinks they have the right. stuff to actually do this. And they track the 88 campaign. I think that's the fundamental premise, right? As you look at Sherrod Brown, who's an impressive guy we've talked a little about um, today, you know, the fundamental question is just sort of he wake up every day wanting to run. Because if you don't, as impressive a candidate as he is, you shouldn't do it. And so they're all assessing sort of whether they have both the desire to serve as president but also the desire to run, right? Yeah, I think that's the important uh, thing here is, look, a lot of these guys think, that, oh, yeah, I can be commander-in-chief in theory. Um, but the real question is, do you have what it takes to make it through a campaign? As grueling and dehumanizing as it is right now, that's the bigger, tougher question. And I would argue that any any candidate out there that is just now toying with the idea or t taking it for a test drive to run for president, they need to think about running in 2024. Because by this point in time, four years and six months ago, when, when Marco Rubio was trying to make that decision, we'd already presented him with 101 uh, deck PowerPoints uh, presentation on what it was legitimately going to take, how many days away from home, how much money he's going to have to raise, the travel, the schedule, the every aspect of it, looking at historical data points, 
everything about what it was going to take, who announced, what were their venues, what was the media impressions like. So if you're just some campaign now that's just taking it out for a test drive, you are way, way behind. And it's a particularly unique cycle, right? Because I think no one expected Trump to win. So therefore, all these folks thought they could down the road running when she was done her four or eight years or Tim Kaine was thinking about running as vice president. And I think so all these guys sort of feel like they all of a sudden have a little less of a sort of lengthy roadmap than they would have had otherwise. But yeah, if you're not thinking and planning and staffing, not just in your headquarters, but also in, in the key states, you're, you're, you're in toast. I think I'm in the minority on this, but I actually think Donald Trump knew from for a very long time that he wanted to run for president and yeah. wasn't well, just he did. Pla- yeah he and did. wasn't just planting seeds on Oprah Winfrey in the 80s and whatnot well but, he, he was actually a candidate for for the presidency yeah. in 2000 in 2000, mm-hmm. in 2000 and he was I a think candidate. I think he knew I, th- I think by I, I, and it takes it, it's hard to articulate which is a poor poor for a host of a radio show to say it. but it's it, it he knew that he needed to craft himself as an outsider and so, and that is a political savviness that uh, that I think he he possessed uh, that that sometimes uh, we in the media lose track of. But but Terry, to to take it down even further with someone like Senator Rubio, for example, when you're presenting, and if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. I'm not even necessarily asking about Rubio. But when you're presenting to someone who right. wants to be president, what are you looking for in someone as they're washing over, all of this intel is washing over them in terms of like, do they get it? Is it a gut instinct? Is it like what? Like I don't think anyone could possibly get it until the day they raise their hand and the day they walk into that office. I just don't think it, it's something that anyone can fully comprehend. Um, and and you look at how the office changes people. I don't think anybody from George W. Bush to to uh, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama really fully understood what it was going to be like until they were in there. Can a humble person run for president? No. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think a lot of these guys are sitting here assessing whether there's a lane for them. It's hard to know that until you actually do it. Yeah, I mean, so I feel if you got to make a lane. Like, right. like, make right. a lane. If, it, like, what is this whole? This is what I don't get about politicians, and you guys know this. Working in the business, like, this is one thing that drives me nuts, because you'll talk to them, you'll develop a relationship with them as a reporter, and you'll you'll really get to know what they actually think on an issue, and then you you hear them in an interview, and you're like, that's not what you believe on X, Y, or Z issue, and you're like, if you're a true leader, why don't you articulate your position and convince people that you are. Right. That, that's something that has driven me nuts about about Washington. Yeah, Welcome I mean, to Washington. Welcome well, to Washington. And also, me, one quick aside. Yeah. I think, you know, a week ago, Democrats might have said, what's the lane for Amy Klobuchar? She does one CNN town hall. Does pretty well. Suddenly people are saying, okay, there's some viability there. Things can change on a dime. It's because she got in. Okay, we got like two minutes left, and I love doing this because both of you have wild stories. <laughs> but stick true to the heart out that we have uh, coming up. Craziest campaign story. That comes to mind, Scott. I'm getting to him last because I'm sure his. I've like <laughs> we could do a whole episode of that. Go ahead. You go first, Cameron. Oh, that's not fair. Uh, getting a call from a uh, Associated Press reporter at 11:30 at night in 2004, telling me that they were about to go with a story that my candidate just told an editorial board in Aiken, South Carolina, that he was for firing pregnant unwed mothers oh for being God. teachers. What did you do, Todd Aiken? Uh, drank more. It wasn't Todd Aiken, actually. It was Jim DeMint. Oh, Jim DeMint? Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was gosh. This was forever ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Less than a minute, Scott. 
Uh, we have many of them from a, a Senate candidate who crashed a car while doing a radio interview <sighs> onward. But I definitely remember the end of the 2012 campaign while working for Vice President Biden, the hurricane coming and having to pull down a deliberately planned schedule for a full week and sitting in a hotel um, because you both couldn't campaign and you were weeks away from needing to convince the American people to vote for you. Oh, boy. Scott Mulhauser, Democratic strategist, uh, as well as Terry Sullivan, uh, Republican strategist. Thank you both for coming on. Come back. Thank we'll you. talk more. I'm Kevin Cerilli. That's it for me. Tomorrow, more on trade. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Check us out on iTunes. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.